Oh, I didn't write a I didn't write a title for myself. Welcome back to the AdCast, a podcast for the study of modern visual culture. I am your magnificent Steiner, Renu. And I'm your mechanically minded detective on the hunt for criminals, Soup. <laughs> this week, at stands for Octong Baby, because we'll be talking about Naoki Urasawa's monster. But before we get into that, what have we been up to? <laughs> that is a good question. Um, I have not been up to too terribly much. Uh, I'm sure that's something that you, you hear quite a bit from, from me. Um, I am recording this on a new microphone. I decided to <gasps> get myself a new microphone for Christmas because oh. I have been recording the podcast on the other one for a very long time. Um, I looked I looked, and I, I think I got that mic like maybe a year into the podcast. So this is the first time I've, I've really upgraded since then, um, I think. It wow. May have, yeah, so... Um, if I'm I still sound using the same one. <laughs> yeah, I was like, if I sound a little different, uh, that that's why. I'm, I'm not even sure if the difference is going to be that perceptible, to be honest. Like, the mic mm. I had already was, was, like, was like fine, right? It, it worked fine. Um, so mm -hmm. This one, the only thing that it really should do is it should somewhat, like, reduce the, the uh, effect of the bad habits I have when I, when I speak. Um, oh. So. Um, like what? So, like, you know, like, sibilance, like, the really harsh S sound um, yeah. is generally, uh, should be a little bit softer. Um, and the plosives oh. should be a little bit um, softer as well, the, like, puh sounds. Um, I can kind of hear that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> although, also, like, at the same time, right, if I if I just, like, just really enunciate uh, too hard on something, it's, it's still not gonna completely solve it, right? But anyway, um, so, yeah. Other than that, like mm -hmm. not not much. Uh, I will be going to. Um, I'll be going. Uh, I'll say I'll be going. Um, this episode will come out, and I'll have come back from from a little like little Christmas vacation um, up to Oregon. Oregon. <laughs> Oregon. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, I've been playing a lot of video games. Uh, I recently started playing games again, um, <gasps> which is really fun because mm -hmm. normally. Normally, I'm the kind of person that plays like one game sort of at a time as a as a sort of like main game, and then I will I'll play other other games like very infrequently, um, and that will usually be something that is a multiplayer uh, or or otherwise um, kind of game, like you know, like Final Fantasy fourteen or uh, Apex Legends. But, mm -hmm. but I've been I've been playing like different different titles, little, like smaller games, and. That's been really nice. Um, that's just been healing me in, in, in a certain way. Oh, healing you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I needed some time just to, to play some video games, you know? Yeah, no, I get that. I, I also, I, I like to turn to really small, like, little indie experiences um, when I feel like I need my gaming heart to be healed, too. <laughs> There's something really pleasant about them, like, 
It's like, oh, look at this little nice little thing that someone made. And it's so like pure and not tainted by, I don't know, corporate capitalism. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a, a smaller experience is always a, is always just going to be a, a, a little nicer in, in many different regards. Mm hmm. So what about you? What have you been up to? I have been gearing up for holiday stuff and convention stuff. I have one winter convention that I'm doing um kind of after New Year's. Um other than that, uh not too much outside of that. I've been doing art for people because my wallet's a little tight this year. <laughs> So. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, it'd be like that. Yeah, it's like I'm both short on time and money, but you know, I think I can squeeze my time a little more effectively than I can my wallet right now. <laughs> you know what? That's that's fair. As long as you are alive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're we're functioning. We're gonna make it happen. <laughs> yeah, that's basically all I've been up to. I mean, to be fair, like I think. For the holiday season, it's not like super exciting stuff really happens before the the holidays. Uh, everything is just kind of leading up to that point. So, like for I, for me personally, like I can't think about anything that I've been doing because I'm I'm mostly just thinking ahead to like what I will be doing. Yeah, same. <laughs> Which is also really funny because this this episode will come out after Christmas. When I think, I about mean, we've it. totally done the holiday stuff already. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we we've done it already, and it's it was great. I uh, I I just yeah. got back and I had a great yeah. time. Hopefully, uh... <laughs> we saw our families. They were lovely. There were absolutely no fights whatsoever, and um, we've come back refreshed. And we didn't sap all of our energy over the vacation or anything. Right. Most most. That's how holidays not. go, right? <laughs> All right, well, shall we talk about Monster then? Shall we just get right into it? Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we've been trying to record this episode for a while now, but it took a a, a long time for me to be able to, to sit down and like crack, uh, crack into Monster just because it is, it's pretty long and you have to adjust yourself a little bit when you, when you initially start reading it. Because uh, it, you know, obviously it has a bit of an, an older art style. You know, you might um, you might be into it, you might not. Um, but you know, after you've read a couple of chapters, you like really, really get into it. But it's like it's kind of like wading into a cold pool, especially for something as prestigious as Monster. I feel like sometimes you really have to like psych yourself up to read something that you know is very well regarded because you're like, oh, I have to like I have to take it in, right? I got I gotta I have to experience this properly. I think you hit the nail on the head perfectly in in describing that feeling because I also felt the same way. Even just even though this isn't my first experience um, with you know the the storyline of Monster, I first watched the anime a long time ago, and then um, this is my first time like sitting down and properly reading it. And I also had that mindset of like I've been reading like tons of other stuff i've been reading garbage right right <laughs> i gotta recalibrate that's exactly it to be completely frank we've probably both just been reading garbage as like comfort food right because like we're stressed with our daily lives we're like oh we want some garbage escape right like, i, I don't want to just... think about things exactly. i don't want to do my exactly. job 
So you actually have to, yeah, you like you said, you have to put yourself in the right mindset to be able to properly enjoy something like this. And it does take a couple chapters, but thankfully, like, I think the story is so riveting that once you once the setup is there, you just you just plow forward. <laughs> there were there were times reading this manga that I was just like, next chapter, next chapter, next chapter. I just kept going because it was like I just need to find out the next thing, right? That's gonna happen. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I was really prepared to struggle a little bit, like you know, when I read a a really uh, complicated novel. Right. Mm-hmm. Something that has a lot of like meat to it. And yeah, of course, you know, that is that is a thing where I definitely struggled a little bit uh, at the beginning to kind of get a sense of what the themes were, were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But um, luckily, it really all of that stuff just kind of like fades away, like fairly quickly. You get really into the world and the story of Monster and you become very engaged with it. And by the end, all of the themes kind of present themselves to you um, in, yeah. a, in a very clear way, which mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I had never really I, I, I did not know anything about Monster before I started reading it. Um, really okay I, that's awesome <laughs> I, I was gonna say somehow for the last like you know uh, 20 some years I have avoided spoilers I, I did not know pretty much anything about it other yeah. than like maybe the basic premise you know I think I think that's actually kind of a result of how the community has treated monster in general it's like I'm not sure if it's like necessarily out of respect for the story or or what it is, but like just, you know, even though I've experienced it already, having, you know, having that knowledge in my mind, I haven't seen many spoilers out there like hardly at all. And it's not like this series isn't necessarily talked about, but I think it's just I don't know, maybe it's just that highly regarded that people are like, yeah, just, just I, keep that on down low. I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> I I feel like to begin with it kind of helps that it's an older series right that's it true that's true was serialized and finished up largely before i would say uh western anime communities began to form um, especially mm. those that are on the internet so a lot of discussion of monster necessarily is is probably going to be more niche and it's going to be more like locked away it's going to be more ephemeral um there probably are um, I say there probably are. There almost certainly are many videos um, and uh, essays dissecting it, but um, it's not the kind of thing you see because it's not like it's not like the thing of the moment, right? It's it's a it is one of those pieces that sort of exist and people know that it exists. People know that it's good, and mm-hmm. they may not know why because they've never experienced it. They just know that Naoki Urasawa is like a good mangaka, right? Yeah, they might have heard of the title Monster or know of Urasawa, right. but yeah. Yeah, no, and and that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk about this series is because there might be people in our audience who haven't experienced the story yet, in which case um, I kind of want to, like, when we intro the story, we'll, like, start with, like, the beginning stuff, of course, but then after that week, we'll we'll clearly demarcate where where we're going to get into, like, pretty heavy spoiler territory so that if, until that point, our discussion interests you enough to go read or watch um monster then please by all means do so because it is it is definitely a series worth experiencing and what's really great about it is if you 
Like reading, of course, the manga is excellent. But the anime as well is a pretty faithful adaptation. I, I really enjoyed it. And okay. having yeah. read, you know, experienced both, I think they're both good. So if you're an anime watcher or if you're a manga reader, either way, I would recommend um, checking it out if our discussion today interests you. But yeah, well, because it's such a, like a plot-heavy, you know, story, um, if you're interested in it, I don't want to, like, spoil everything for you because then it might, you know, it might take the the wind out of the sails sort of so to speak <laughs> yeah i i yeah. um i definitely agree i would say yeah. that it is well worth a read um i think there is a very clear reason uh reading monster why naoki urasawa is so well regarded and the thing yes. is like monster is one of his his earlier works right it's one of the it's really the piece that like kind of uh, vaulted him um, into the spotlight um, as a uh, as as a you know a a, a well regarded mangaka, um, and his style only really evolves from from here. Um, I was honestly really I wasn't sure how I would feel about it. Right, I feel I felt like it was gonna be a bit of a slog, um, which obviously mm. it did not turn out to be. But I was right. like really I was really ready for like twenty some years of like manga technique evolution to just sort of like bring me back to you know like when you play a a game that came out for the playstation one and you're like ah look they're like little like play-doh people or whatever right (laughs) kind of like both in terms of like the graphical limitations and um also in terms of the stylistic choices uh, a lot of uh, older games can be inaccessible to people for you know many different reasons mm-hmm. right and i felt like i felt like that was what was going to happen to me with monster i was like uh i mean the paneling is probably going to be like fine for the era um or whatever um but luckily obviously i'm here talking about it i read all of it in like three days so uh it, <laughs> it's good and i i think that it is not that hard to get into to be perfectly honest yeah, it doesn't to me feel like a piece that's dated. Um, I mean, of course, it has older sensibilities, just due to the fact that it was written. Um, you know, twenty. It has, it has that some classic years vibe ago. to it. The, right, exactly. It feels more classic than than anything else. Um, and it's also, I think, it also helps that it takes place technically, you know, in the past before it was even written. Right, it takes place in 1986 and onward. So, um. It's a it's a bit of a period piece as well, and that's why I feel like there's there's a bit of a timeless quality to it in that sense. Um, yeah, yeah, and also like yeah. I think I think it is interesting because it you know it is simultaneously timeless and also of the time, and you can really tell that because of the time period and the location that it's set in. But anyway, we'll we'll get into mm-hmm. all of that. So, Monster is a Japanese manga series. This is from Wikipedia, written and illustrated <laughs> by Naoki Urasawa. I'm tipping my hand here, but these are from like. There's no point in us coming up with a, a, a different summary uh, for the for the essential facts of it because like that <laughs> that is literally what Wikipedia is for. But I'm just gonna read this to you that we that we pirated <laughs> off of Wikipedia. Monster is a Japanese manga series written and illustrated by Naoki Urasawa. It was published in Shogakukan in their seinen manga magazine Big Comic Original between 1994 and 2001. And 
this is the part where we will come up with whatever whatever the hell uh, for the summary. It is about a surgeon whose name is Kenzo Tenma, and he is a genius mm-hmm. surgeon. And mm-hmm. he brain is, surgeon. He, he's a genius neuro brain surgeon, and he's got <laughs> a he's got a a beautiful life. He has a wonderful career ahead of him. the The head of the hospital likes him. He is engaged to his his. Uh, his daughter um the the head of the hospital's like the, the hospital director's daughter and everything is coming up tenma and then he is <laughs> asked to do surgery on a uh, on an opera singer instead of uh, a random like turkish man um who was in the hospital and he does that because the director tells him to and as a result the opera singer lives but the turkish man dies and so the next day, the uh, so he's like he's like you know conflicted about this, and then the next day the um, the wife of the wife and child of the Turkish man who died, you know, go to the hospital and they start causing a ruckus, um, and you know, she grabs Doctor Tenma and is and is like, how could you do this? Like my husband was here first. If you had operated on him, he would he would have lived, right? Yeah. And and Tenma's like really really disturbed about this. He's like, "Oh, oh jeez, did I did I do a bad thing? Like I'm a, I'm a doctor, right? Like what mm-hmm. what is the point of being a doctor?" Um and then the next time a situation like that comes up, uh which is quite shortly, is when uh, the mayor needs surgery. The mayor of um I think I think they're in Dusseldorf um to begin with, uh-huh. uh which was in West Germany. Um the story starts in 1986 that is before the fall of the Berlin Wall. Mm-hmm. Another child comes in who has been shot in the head uh, as a result of this mysterious incident that happened where uh, a, uh, a shooting happened um, for, uh, and killed a family, um, or two parents, and then like the, the uh, child got uh, shot, and then there was another child that's like in shock. Um, and he's like, oh, okay, well, don't worry, kid. I'll, I'll save you. And the director is like, you got to operate on the mayor, man. Like, we, we have to operate on the mayor. And he's like, no, I will yeah. operate on the child. Yeah, Tanma. <laughs> and he does that. So the child survives, but the mayor dies. And he basically gets blackballed because of it. Um, and so his, uh, his engagement falls apart. His position at the hospital gets, like, really downgraded. Um, and he becomes basically like a chump. And yeah, basically his future, his shining career, his, his future, future at the hospital. Yeah, there is none, right? He he's basically kind of cut out of the circle, so to speak. Yep, and uh, and then the hospital director and all the all those surgeons who were bad mouthing him die all of a sudden. Yes, they get three of them. They die, they <laughs> die. and <laughs> and then he's like, "What?" And the police are yes. like, "Doctor Tenma." We think it was you. Um, you look an awfully suspicious. You look Tenma. an awfully. We, we, you look yeah, awfully we heard some things happened, and you might have a grudge against these people. <laughs> and he's like, "No, man, I, I didn't. I didn't do that." Um, yeah. But it turns out it was the child. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the child, he's saying. The monster he's unleashed <laughs> upon the world. Dun dun dun. <laughs> So that's so that, the beginning of, of that's, the story. That's that's the first like five chapters, and yes. if that intrigues you, um, yeah, I, I will say it's very good, very well 
uh, told story. It's also 160, like, one or two chapters, so it's pretty long. But it is a complete work, and my god, I will say also this is, um, this is something that I have noticed recently where I've been playing games that have, like, definite endings, and... Mm -hmm. I kind of missed having something that was like I didn't have to wait weekly for like the the conclusion. I'm just like, okay, I I read it and it, it like it, it's over. The story is like is done. I got the whole thing. I got the whole experience. I don't want to wait oh, for it. Oh, me too. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I I I find myself really preferring that nowadays, which is you know, the exact antithesis to the model that we have now, which is like Everyone everything. is on a subscription, on a weekly update, right? Everything has whatever, to go on and- forever. Uh, even games are released chapter by chapter. I'm like, please, where's my complete experience? I just want. I just, I just thing. want the thing. <laughs> I just want it to be done with. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. <laughs> I have really come to appreciate, especially when a when a piece of media can land an ending, because sometimes they really can't. And um, but when they do, it's like. You're like, oh, it's so good, mm, delicious. All the, yes. all the thematic meat has just like come together, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I feel like for Monster, uh, and I'm not entirely sure on how the production went, but the way that it feels as a reader is that it felt like he was able to just end it where he wanted to. So it doesn't feel like it's stretched too thin or that it's too rushed or anything like that. I think the pacing worked really well for the story, and he just was able to co- to make the complete work that he wanted. At least that's how it feels to me. That is definitely what I would say too, is it doesn't at any point really feel like a serialized like weekly series. It feels mm-hmm. like it feels like a, a complete story, which is really, yeah. really nice. It is nice. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I mean what do you what do you want to talk about first? Should we mark the spoilers here and just say go yeah. go read it, go watch it? Um because yeah. I, I, I kinda wanna I, I wanna get into the meat of Yeah, let's let's get monster. into the meat. Yeah. Yeah. So if if you haven't experienced it yet and you're interested by what we've uh, discussed so far, we're gonna move into spoiler territory now. If you would rather proceed without spoilers, um I would highly recommend that uh you go experience the media and then you can come back to the episode and you know comment and discuss with us <laughs> so yeah. yeah let's get into yeah. it scram get out of here oh hey Go no read don't it. say that we love them <laughs> if you haven't read monster i i what am i what am i even to think of you <laughs> don't you do that <laughs> don't guilt them <laughs> all right all right so um, I will say that, uh, now that we're in spoiler territory, I will say mm-hmm. that I, this story did not go where I thought it would go, sort of. Um, sure. There was a very definite period of time where I was on exactly the same page as, uh, as Inspector Lung. Um, I don't actually know how <laughs> you're supposed to pronounce his name, um, uh, because it's, it's like Lunge, but in German, right? Yeah, how do you pronounce how how <laughs> maybe Google will tell us. Maybe Google maybe Google will will tell us. Um German pronunciation. Let's see. Lunge? Maybe? Maybe? Lunge. Lunge. I think that's I mean that's what Google <laughs> You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take the uh 
Yeah, Lunga. So, is that what you found? <laughs> yeah, that, that is also what the katakana says, which is my way of cheating. Oh, okay. So Inspector Lunga is a really interesting figure, and I was 100% on the same page as him for a while, although by the time that he shows up and is like, uh, oh, Johan is but a but a, an alter ego for Dr. Tenma for him to do his <laughs> killings. At that at that point, you know definitively that that is not true. But yes. <laughs> for uh, for like quite a long time, I was I was I was like, oh, it's like a that like that's what the the twist is. He's he's uh he's an alter ego. He's like doing the killings himself. Like he's like, oh, how could you do this to me? And it created a, a split in his personality. And that is where I thought that the story would go. And then they resolved that like really fast they're like like 15 20 chapters and they're like nah he's real and you're like oh my god (laughs) see that's so funny because i was completely on the side of him being real the entire time (laughs) i think i think the thing is that the depiction is ambiguous enough at the start to make it is you think it is yeah no i i I do love that you also thought that because I do think that he, he made it ambiguous on purpose. Right. And I will also say um, that I'm glad that that wasn't the, the, the story. Because oh, it would have been, been so much <laughs> less interesting than, than what, what we did get. And I will say, yeah. what we did get was actually, like, bonkers. I was not, yes. I was, I was not ready. <laughs> I, like, really wasn't prepared for mm-hmm. the places that this uh, manga went, right? Because I was like, okay, <laughs> like it's set, it's set in uh, in Germany, d- like before and after the fall of of the Berlin Wall. Mm-hmm. It um it probably is like you know gonna pro- probably going to mention some of that stuff. But I don't think it's going to just be set dressing. Um, but we went so much deeper into it than I thought we would. Right. Like, I, like, it was crazy. Here's like the Czechoslovakian secret police and yes. the the far right contingent groups that still exist and like try to, you know, do their Nazi stuff. Yeah, right? the neo Nazis and then uh was it and, and he even went into like the immigrant struggles, like really deep immigrant struggles I, I of like, like the Turkish neighborhoods and all the other uh immigrants there too. It was like, I totally <laughs> I totally was not prepared to have those de- the, the depictions of like all of the all of the immigrants to Germany specifically being like Turkish immigrants having like the Turkish quarter you yeah know, having uh, the Vietnamese immigrants I yes. thought was really interesting yes um, mm-hmm. and yeah I mean I I felt like it was very grounded and very in tune with the realities of uh, of up of a place like germany right yeah i I I would be so interested yeah 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 i I would be so interested in seeing like an analysis of um what it was like back then because i'm not i'm not knowledgeable enough about about this country in this time period right i only know like very general like world history around this time um so i'm really interested in seeing like how much of this like is accurate to that time period because I imagine he did a butt ton of research in order to get this far detailed right. into it, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I would say that if you look at the 20th century, that was like the the tail end of the 20th century, I would say mm-hmm. there was 
quite a uh, a sort of neo-Nazi presence. I feel like culturally yeah. you can you can feel that. Um, yeah, of course, yeah. And I would also say that the immigrants and the Turkish quarter seem very that just seems very like in line with what I would believe about Germany at the time. Like right, immigrants have, yeah. have realistically always existed and they've always kind of come from wherever. Um and yeah, yeah. you know it is not unusual for people to uh to immigrate to Germany from say like Turkey, right? And sure. and be treated uh in, in a way that they are uh different from, from Germans. Yeah, I mean it, it's like you said, the the treatment of it in the story um, all these different uh places and you know nationalities and whatnot feels really grounded. Doesn't necessarily feel like you know someone who lives in a completely different continent stereotyping everyone that they come across and <laughs> you know right. And I would I would also say I would also say that in terms of um in terms of the the sort of immigrant populations, I think mm-hmm. it is important that those populations are depicted in a story like this because you really get. Um, this very broad depiction of uh, of what you know um, specifically of what like Germany at the time was like, where mm-hmm. you have a bunch of neo Nazis and then you have a bunch of the immigrants that just kind of like live there, right? Mm-hmm. And you, it's like both this depiction of uh, most likely quite grounded and accurate depiction of what it was like in Germany at the time, and at the same time, it gives you a uh, a wide variety of people to look at. I think that. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed while reading um is that Naoki Urasawa is very very good at like depicting people. Um they feel so like immediately fleshed out and so immediately yeah. real and yes. he builds a lot of characterization off of like very small like little idiosyncrasies or like takes mm-hmm. that people have right yeah so like inspector lunga's thing is that he he does this like weird like hand emotion to like physically <laughs> record memories like he's a computer right yeah like he's um, typing yeah <laughs> you have the criminal psychologist who like uh, records everything on on tape recorders um and you have uh the the detective who just like clips his nails all the time right it's just like these like little things that really give you like a an in sort of an inroad to understanding someone um and, yeah mm-hmm. go ahead well i would just say like uh, and like obviously like if it was just the one thing it wouldn't it would still be like flat but oh yeah there's still a lot of care taken and um in crafting and depicting like nuanced depictions of of people right yeah, no, I I I love the way that he portrays because this story has so many characters. And it really it does. Be, yeah, it can be really like dizzying to try and keep up with everyone, but um, yeah, Urasawa just has this way of like that's this is this person right here, this is that person right there, and you 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 learn enough about them, and they and I think what's really great about the the physical way that he portrays them is that. Not all of it has to be said. You know, you get a feel for their personality right. just by like these tiny little mannerisms that he depicts. I um, I yeah. think that a that Naoki Urasawa has the sort of medium of manga and the rhythm of how to lay out uh, panels effectively, mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. really down. You can immediately yes. see it and mm-hmm. you immediately get a sense for it because 
he makes sure to show like the small moment by moment frames when the scene calls for it and at the yeah. same time emits stuff that you don't need to see stuff that you can infer or that doesn't need to be said mm-hmm. or yep. stuff that can be up to interpretation right it it's really good because you get a uh a very physical sense of these characters from their mm-hmm. little tiny mannerisms um yes. and like where they're looking and how they react to things um and at the same time because of all of that you know built up characterization you know urasawa can emit panels of things happening and you understand what has happened in that time right one of my yep. favorite depictions um there's i i have two two characters that i think are depicted just like really really flawlessly um mm. and one of them is uh one of them is inspector lunga um he he really has the long play cuz he's like a prominent character kind of throughout yes, he does. the entire series it's a really really long play <laughs> Um, but I really, really liked the way that his character was was developed because, you know, you see him and he's originally this kind of like he's like a proto L, you know, from like Death Note where <laughs> he has this relentless, very yeah. intellectual, like almost terrifying at points antagonistic relationship with with Dr. Tenma. And he's like he is hot on the trail. He yeah. is so good at his job. Right. Yeah. And you can see him and, um, you know, Urasawa always shows the little, like, the little, like, keyboard, like, emotions mm-hmm. that he makes with his hands. And mm-hmm. the one time he doesn't, the one time that his hands stay still, you notice it immediately. You're like, oh, okay, he did not do the thing, right? You feel that a change <laughs> has happened in his character, yes. right? And he goes yes. and he's on his, his, you know, his Czechoslovakian vacation and he's like, I'll have a beer. Like, he's like, I'll have a coffee. No, no, no. Actually, I'm on vacation. I'll have a beer, right? And then immediately, <laughs> as soon as he's, he, he's, like, switching back into work mode, he's like, make that coffee a, make that beer a coffee, right? He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You could, these small characterizations are just, like, so, they're so perfectly in line with the, like, weird idiosyncrasies of this, like, really strange detective guy. And... <laughs> And then, like, at the end of the series, you kind of get a, uh, a an arc where this guy starts out, and he is basically, he lives for his job, and mm-hmm. not even necessarily to do well at his, jo- uh, to do well in terms of, like, um, his, like, career path and all that, right? It's not like he's doing this so that he can get promoted. He, like, just... He just he just wants to do the detective work. It's like it's the stuff yeah. that interests him. He's like, I'm yes. only interested in in solving this case. I like actually mm-hmm. don't care um mm-hmm. what what the other parts of it are, right? Um yeah. there there's a very um distinct part where he's like, I like don't care that you did a copycat murder and uh, and to, to, like steal inheritance money. Like I really don't give a shit about that. I'm I'm here for one thing, right? Mm-hmm. And Yep. And you get this picture of this guy who's so, like, devoted to his job because he, like, I wouldn't even say he cares about it. It feels like mm-hmm. he's obsessed with it, right? Um, To the detriment yeah. of everything in his personal life. And you see his wife and his, his daughter, like, leave him. And mm-hmm. by the end, he kind of becomes more 
uh, more sociable and more empathetic and more understanding, right? He's like, all right, Dr. Tenma, I guess you aren't a, aren't a disassociative identity serial murderer. And, <laughs> you know, he's like, can, uh, and he, you know, calls up his, uh, or he gets a call from his, his uh, daughter and is like, you know, I've had, I've had a, a son. Um, and um, he's like, can I, can I see him? Right. Um, and you can feel this very palpable sense that he's he's changed as a character. And it's like at the same time, I would say it's like not so obvious either. It's so it's such a nuanced, subtle way of of developing a character that you if you weren't paying like super close attention, you might even miss it. Yeah, I I also love the treatment for his character. I mean, it's like, first of all, the way that he's so starkly portrayed is that you're surprised that he even has a family. Like this right, man is you so were, about his work. You were surprised. Yeah, I was that, shocked. <laughs> like you, you have the exact yeah. same perspective as his coworkers who were like, "Does he even like have to eat and sleep?" Yeah, right. Exactly. Because <laughs> you don't see him do any of that stuff until he's on vacation. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. He. He's so. Uh. I don't know. Almost. He he's portrayed in a robotic way that he doesn't care that his wife has been cheating on him this whole time. He doesn't care that his daughter is pregnant. Like he doesn't want to care about that stuff because he wants to care about his work. But then, like slowly but surely, through his involvement in this case with Tenma, with the people whom Tenma has met and whom he meets as as a consequence, um, this very cold icy detective him him little heart starts to just melt ever so slightly right and you really get to see it with his um with his uh interactions with with grimmer and i feel like that's so poignant because you know at the end you know who is he seeing you know he's he's at grimmer's grave um yeah sharing a beer with a guy you know and and that's not something that uh that the detective in the beginning of the story would have ever done you know and i think that's such a huge like like a nice wonderful way to wrap up his arc <laughs> i i would also say that uh i i want to put a pin in this because i definitely want to return to this moment yeah um the other character who i think is is so well portrayed uh in terms of the the little mannerisms that they have is um the other detective richard brown who shows up and he <gasps> has he has this kind of like oh. clark kenty vibe to him and he richard. is and this is this is funny um, because there's so many men in Naoki Urasawa's monster that are like <laughs> just so obsessed with doing their job that their families yeah. fall apart. Like, yeah. like it's not like just three or four guys; it's like six or eight. <laughs> yes, um, but I would say that Richard Brown is so well characterized because he is struggling with alcoholism, right? Yeah, and so. Every single time that he is given the choice to drink alcohol and he chooses to drink coffee instead, but like um, is, is, is a character choice. And at the same time, you can see him physically struggling with that. Like, and it's not even like you see his expression really where he's like, oh, I, I have to I, I can't drink anymore. Right. It's, it's yeah, not yeah, yeah. so obvious necessarily, but it is so, so blindingly clear because it's like. He sees two people drinking, 
He looks yeah. a little bit closer at two people drinking, and the only yeah. sh- the only like panel you get is like of his throat, and he's like swallowing. He's drinking. Yeah. He's like, gulping. Yes, and he's it's parched. Such a, it's such a visceral like yes feeling that you get that you're like, oh, this man wants a drink, right? Right, and, but but so it's also like so. Not, not only is it like relatable and very visually like understandable, but it's also accurate to what alcoholism does. It makes you feel like your throat is dry when you're when you're craving an alcoholic drink because you're so addicted to it. So it's, 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 I, 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 no, I, I love the way that they characterize Richard in that sense too, because every time it comes up, it feels like a very, it is like tense, palpable moment. You're like, it is no, so Richard, tense. Don't do it. <laughs> it, it is so tense. And the one time that yeah. he does order alcohol because his life has basically like fallen apart at that point. Yeah. He, yeah. you're like, Oh God! Like you know, yeah. you can. It's no, it's like it's this sense of dread. But then he yeah. like he just pays for it and he walks out. He does not drink a single drop of it. And you're like, yeah, you're like Richard, yeah. we love Richard. You, Richard. <laughs> this man loves his family. He wants to be with his family. He wants a chance to be with his daughter. <laughs> this is this is such a like this is such a um what I would what I would say is um a very proper big strength of Naoki Urasawa is mm-hmm. he is so good at depicting people as humans and yeah. it works so well for this story because it is it's like quite an adventure in a lot of ways right you yeah. know Dr. Tenma goes around uh Europe mostly Germany um but he you know ventures out into Czechoslovakia and, and stuff like that and mm-hmm. the sense that you get is that he meets a lot of people and none of those encounters that he has ever feel like a throwaway encounter right yeah mhm it always feels like he is stepping into someone's life and through him we get to step into someone's life and we get to see yeah. like this small town that has problems and he's you know going to try to to fix them and you can tell you know, Dr. Tenma is a deeply empathetic man that cares so much about mm-hmm. other people that he is he's willing to just like do surgery under the worst conditions possible so that people have a better chance at being alive. His philosophy at the outset of Monster being that all lives are equal. Yeah. It's like one thing to hear that someone say that and it's another thing to see someone constantly, constantly put themselves out there in order to act upon that that philosophy, right? Like, there are times when it is so disadvantageous for him to help somebody. He's like, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna help a terrorist, right? Um, but he does right. it anyway, right? He's like, you know, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I'm not gonna help you because you're like my enemy, but he does it anyway, right? And you can yep. tell it's because he cares yep. so deeply about other mm-hmm. people. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it works so well. And through him, you get to see so many different sides of people where, yeah. like, you get to see, like, the, all the, the care and the, the trauma that people have. Even at the very beginning of the story when you have, you know, um, Adolf Junker, right? He's, he's like, you know, I, I, helped, I helped you. And um, he, uh, he's just talking to him as a person. And he's like, you know, Dr. Tenman, you saved my life. And in, in some ways, like, I, I kind of... Uh, I kind of regard you um, as as a father figure now, right? You've you've kind of brought me back to life in a way, right? Mm-hmm. And 
you know, he kind of unpacks that the trauma of like, well, I started stealing because, uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, poor and I had uh, this clock that I really, really wanted. Yeah, the and clock. it it sort of just manifested <laughs> in these ways. And yeah, and really, you can see that he's just somebody that like really needed somebody to like listen to him and to care for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it all the more tragic when he just gets fucking iced by Johan for, uh, you know, for yeah. having having been there. And and then th- Tenma bought him a clock. He was on right. his way to give it to him. And this oh, is oh man. And this is the thing is like I feel like the characters and the story are so realistic and yeah. so grounded and so consistent in that a lot of the times when characters die. It's not for shock value. It's for it's for some purpose serving the narrative, right? And a lot of times, their problems haven't necessarily been resolved, but they have been worked on, right? It's not mm-hmm. like their goals necessarily went unfulfilled, right? Like when Richard Brown gets killed, he has, you know, in many ways kind of overcome a lot of his problems, right? He's yeah. kind of overcome his alcoholism. And obviously, like, that is a lifelong condition that you work on for the rest of your life. Um, but, I mean, technically speaking, he did that, right? Yeah. So that, that's what I would say is, like, you know, even when characters are being killed um, in this story, they're being treated with all of the respect and dignity yeah. and empathy that makes it feel like it matters and it raises the stakes in a meaningful way. Yeah, I think a real um a real effect that this ends up having is the way that Urasawa has crafted every single character, even all of the, you know, quote unquote NPCs or whatever, um, is that by the end of the story, when you get to see a lot of them, it's like he knows that you care about them because he cares about them too as the author, right? And you get when you get to see the little glimmers of them kind of like leading up to the climax of the story or like at the end, you know, the epilogue parts of the story. It feels so satisfying. It's like, oh, look at this person. Oh, look at that person. Oh, I like, like you remember how much you care about all of these people throughout the story. And and in reality, they could have ended up being treated like, you know, little cardboard cutouts like, oh, Tenma visited this little rural town. Look, that's the, that's the doctor that he met. No, 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 no. He helps them and he goes on his way. But no, you end up really, really caring about how these people turn out. <laughs> and and their reaction to, to certain news too, like when Tenma got arrested is also, it was also really nice because you get to see how deeply he impacted them and how they, how he continues to like have that effect on them because they're all horrified that Tenma gets arrested and and they try to put together like a legal team to try and bail him out you know right. that kind of stuff was so heartwarming <laughs> well I, this this also kind of speaks to another one of Naoki Urasawa's strengths which is mm-hmm. just the sort of consistency of of the world in that he both never forgets a character and also allows a big sprawling plot to occur and for characters to have very like interconnected backstories with each other one mm-hmm. of the one of the most important things about monster is the fact that everything is so related and you get small little glimpses right you see two points that are like oh these two things are related and then you realize oh these two things are related and then you realize oh these like three things are related and yeah they're not all necessarily directly related to each other, but you see the threads throughout, right? So you I, have... Yeah. What was I say? You, you have um, things like uh, 
uh, Grimmer showing up, and uh, it turns out that he is uh, a child from from Kinderheim Five Eleven. Yes, and then you have Roberto, who that's who I was gonna bring up. Uh, yep, yeah, Roberto. Roberto, who is the the nephew of the the Czechoslovakian secret police guy, right? And yes, so, that is. So he, <laughs> well, yeah, go ahead. He, he he was for the majority of the story. He is like one of the worst antagonists. He's just like a killing machine for Johan, and and it's only like kind of like towards the back half of the story that you learn about this. Um, person whom Grimmer remembers and the thing about Kinderheim uh, 511 is that they kind of erase the type of per- the, per- the person and your your own identity but what you do sometimes remember is the other people who were there the other children and so Grimmer remembers another boy there and that boy loved hot chocolate and in the very end of the story at like the conclusion of Roberto's you know existence in the story you learn that he's the boy with the hot chocolate. <laughs> and the reason that he ends up attaching himself to Johan is because Johan gave him hot chocolate. And then that's also why he's not allowed apparently to see the doomsday scenario is because he's not an empty nihilistic husk <laughs> that 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 Johan would want to see the doomsday scenario is is that he has that memory of hot chocolate and that's why he can't see it and that's why he's it 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 it's amazing how interconnected even like this dude whom you you has been left a mystery the entire time just one little point one little point of connection <laughs> yeah i mean everything feels so so intimately connected and also like you can you when you trace those like lines and you see them and you like understand what's happening, it just gives everything just just that little extra bit of meaning because you're like, oh, yeah, he's that guy's nephew, right? Yeah, whom whom Tenma meets. Tenma meets the guy, and then the guy's like, you know, like I had this nephew who was, you know, I never got to see again. So do we do we want to move into talking about uh the big the big thing like the big the big sort of central tenet the central themes uh, of monster um, uh we mean we have because <laughs> we, we, we've talked quite at length about the craft of monster which is like it's so so well put together and mm-hmm. the panels flow so well right yeah even though they're I, I think this is really fascinating because the panels aren't particularly like interestingly um shaped or anything right it's not like they have uh any real quality to them other than the fact that they are rectangles but that like for, somehow uh now Kurosawa can manipulate that into becoming so invisible and also so visible when when he wants it to be right mm-hmm. you you I, just feel yeah, this yeah, like yeah. very particular rhythm when you read it yes uh i think he is quite masterful at that and to the point that like I thought this a lot while I was reading it is that more than more so than you reading the manga it feels like you're almost watching a movie that's how well paced and cinematic a lot of his panels are I I 100% agree I think that there is a lot of film sort of uh, influence there and Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting is it reminds me a lot of when I was reading Chainsaw Man Chainsaw Man 
in sort of direct panel to panel rhythm nails it at this at like pretty much in a very similar or like if if not exactly the same way that uh that urasawa um nails the rhythm of a manga panel it's like both of these people understand like the process of reading manga and of telling yeah. a story through manga so well and mm-hmm. I would say also, like, the one time that the panels get a little bit, like, weirder, a little wonkier is when uh, is when Nina is having, uh, like, a dream sequence, right? Mm-hmm. And immediately you can feel like, oh, whoa, it, it, something yeah, is something off. Something feels different, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, 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 like, that's really, really good. But the themes of Monster, oh, oh boy. <laughs> everything feeds into the themes which is great which is how oh, this type of story should be crafted right it's very strongly thematic strong ideologies going on so many ideologies i and clashing i love it i love it's I love great it because it's so good <laughs> naoki urasawa reminds me um uh, this, is, this is really funny. He actually just re- he reminds me a lot of Tatsuki Fujimoto in that they both have like <laughs> these really interesting perspectives on the human condition, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that I think that Chainsaw Man is a little bit more nihilistic, um, not necessarily in a less empathetic way, but I think that Naoki Urasawa feels just so much more hopeful um, in terms of like mm-hmm. what it means uh to be to be a person um and i think that that largely comes down to a a generational gap um now obviously monster was serialized in uh 1994 right so that is like well well into the the economic bust uh of japan mm-hmm. right this is around the time the kind of like um the the forgotten generation or like the lost generation i remember what it's exactly it's called in in japan um kind of came to be where like the economic crash happened and it basically just ruined the futures of like an entire generation of people mm. um and i think it is really especially if you look at the tail end of the 20th century i think it is not a coincidence by any means that the story is set around that time, um, around the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall, um, because it really speaks to this very specific, overarching kind of anxiety about the future of humanity, right? Yeah. Because, like, when you are at this point in time where you have, you know, capitalism and socialism and capitalism has, has won, the Berlin Wall has fallen, and all traces of socialism have um, essentially been, like, you know, wiped away, right? What you get is, like, a, a bunch of people for whom capitalism is not the system that they wanted to live under, but it is now the mm-hmm. system that they are forced to live under, right? And that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that socialism was better, but you can feel in a lot of the characters throughout um throughout monster the overarching kind of feeling is is this anxiety of like well they said my life would get better after the fall of the berlin wall and this was very prominent for people that lived in east germany right where they're like but it hasn't actually in some ways my life has actually gotten worse right yeah um and that feels like kind of they uh he takes this idea of like being anxious about the future right about 
about seeing mm-hmm. nothing but darkness in the future. Mm-hmm. And he like pulls it out and he kind of speaks to a, a broader sort of sense of uh, of nihilism and of fear and like yeah you get it because like the 90s and early 2000s were one hell of a time for the planet <laughs> right like obviously the the um, uh, preceding years after world war one awful after world war two awful right throughout the entirety of the 20th century there was this like really uneasy sense um Aside from maybe the, like, 50s and 60s, if you were, like, a white person, right? <laughs> like, maybe that point you would feel, like, really comfortable and, like, ah, oh, I, I, great, I live in a, you know, a, a home with a, pick, a white picket fence and my dog <laughs> and my the children. The American dream. Right, the American <laughs> dream. Um, and how, how real that ideal ever was obviously is something to to be called into question not even just for the white person in america but for or like not even just for you know the marginalized people in america who obviously were never able to access that but even for the people for whom that would have been the the stated ideal right is like uh-huh. was was that ever realistic um yeah but i would say that yeah. what's uh about monster specifically um you get this really interesting depiction that is both kind of universalizing and also very deeply personal. Yeah, I I love that actually because yeah, it 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 does feel like you as a person even though you're not living in 1980s Germany or or whatnot, like you can relate to the story in a way because it is about this conflict between giving in to hopelessness and nihilism and accepting that nothing matters, you know, there's no value anywhere, um, versus, like, wanting to, to, to be hopeful and look towards the future. And I love that this story personifies that within the conflict between Tenma and Johan. <laughs> it, it, he, he literally picked the, like, like, I feel like the perfect point in, in, in history and, and, and location-wise, like, like, all of that to just draw out this very specific conflict. And of course, there's like a lot of themes that 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 are generated from that as well. But that, but to have that as the main core conflict, I think is brilliant. Um, the way that he portrays, and also like the fact that like Johan is such a force of nihil, like just like nihilism is in a way, um, because of it, of its, you know, like they describe his ideologies a lot of the time in the story as being very pure, and that's what gravitates a lot of people to him. Is like it's such a he has he has such pure intentions, so to speak, of of obliteration, essentially. <laughs> of right. At first, standing on top, and then he's like, "No, I want I want everything erased." Right. And then Tenma is a lot shakier, and I feel like that's you know, like it's going to be a direct reflection of how you feel, um, how you would feel during these times or during any kind of troubling time. Is like you might want to cling on to a more hopeful idealism, but you don't know if whether it's gonna be it's gonna come true. You don't know what the fallout is from that. And Tenma very early on experiences that type of fallout when he saves the titular monster, so to speak. He saves Johan's life, and Johan becomes, or you know, is a murderer. <laughs> I would also say that I think one of the most interesting conflicts in the entire series is uh is is Doctor Tenma because he is. 
to Johan's sort of pure nihilism and um, and pure destruction, he is this foil that is pure humanism, right? Mm-hmm, it's, he wa- yeah. all all human lives are equal, and he, you know, will help anybody that that he can, right? And so his cent- his sort of central conflict for a lot of the series is. Like I, I did this essentially, right? Because I, right. if I didn't save Johan, this would never have happened. Like all of these events yeah. never would have transpired, right? Yeah. And he takes it upon himself to to remedy this problem by killing him, right? And mm-hmm. it, this conflict of like, you know, Doctor Tenma is a surgeon. You know, he is a person that saves lives, and his mission for most of the series is to kill somebody right Mm -hmm. and he finds that time and time again it's so difficult for him to kill johan and it is so Mm -hmm. difficult for him to you know really harm anybody even when you know he's in situations where it it would make sense like the only real time that he like actually you know harms somebody and like thinks he killed them is when he shoots roberto and he like falls into the exploding fire right he's like oh god i i killed somebody and it turns out he didn't right yeah and you watch the whole series play out and you're like What's going to happen? Like, is, is he going to do it? Is he going to kill? Like, <laughs> yeah. how, how does this work within the framework of, like, a, hum- of a humanist philosophy of, like, saving lives, right? Um, it forces him to, to consider, like, maybe not all lives are equal, right? And I right. think one of the remarkable things is it would have been very simple just to have, um, just to have you know, Dr. Tenma be like, Okay, but this is, like, for for the best, for, for the best of humanity, and he does it, right? And, like, he doesn't. And, in fact, the characters say, like, don't do this. Yeah. You, you weren't wrong to save Johan, and you're not wrong to not want to shoot him now, right? And, like, I think that there are a couple of ways that you could interpret it, but the way that, you know, the way that I see it is that, you know, Dr. Tenma still sees Johan as human, right? The thing about the the series being titled Monster is the entire time you are looking for a monster and you see yep. like monstrous action after monstrous action. You see murders and you see child like children being experimented on. And you know, you're like you the whole time you're just like, oh, like it this is all like Johan's doing. And then like you're like, right. oh, this is like the, the Czechoslovakian like government's doing for setting up Kinderheim five one one and like the people right. who set up the experiment. And you follow this entire thread and at the end of it you 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 see the guy who who started the Kinderheim five eleven experiments mm-hmm. who's like, mm-hmm. I brainwashed these children to remove every aspect of their humanity. Like I took away their names, the very things that, that make them human. And you see him and he's like just a guy now. And well, yeah, not only that is that he doesn't even believe in the experiment right, anymore. He, he believes that, you know, that people are, are worth being people. Right. Yeah. Like he's he doesn't believe in this like, oh, we have to raise the, the glorious, uh, perfectly logical, you know, um, uh, super, super the ubermensch to um, to lead humanity. It's like. You see him after all these years in mm-hmm. just like a a random tiny town in Germany, yep. and he's like 
oh, don't worry, kids. Like, like <laughs> he's like just talking to a kid, well, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, no, like, don't he, hurt people. He's the nice, he's the nice old innkeeper who they don't reveal who he is right away. But he's the nice old innkeeper who's comforting Wim and preventing Wim from becoming a violent person. Like Wim's at that is, is this little boy who's at this turning point in his life where he has like a lot of you know conflict in his in his personal life. He has you know a really terrible alcoholic and violent father. He's got bullies. He's got all of these forces around him that are pushing him towards reacting to them. Right, like fighting back. You know, doing something terrible. And it's these old innkeeper who is keeping Wim grounded, having him work out and work at the inn, you know, like comforting him whenever like, you know, he's being harassed by bullies, you know, telling him not to mind them, that kind of thing. You turn out this, it turns out this old innkeeper who is like keeping Wim grounded in humanity and, and being a good person is the person who was the head of the uh, experimentation at Kinderheim 511 who had you know the twins separated and and had this hor- had had one of them subjected to like such really awful trauma um but he's already changed he's already a different person and not only that he doesn't believe what in what johan became right like he, right. he's not the same, and, he's not like johan and i i would say like most of the people who worked in in that uh you know institution basically just like grow out of it right um the mm-hmm. the guy uh so uh, mikhail petrov who is uh known as reinar de Biermin, is is one of the one of the guys who was uh, at kinderheim 511 and he when we find him has just started an orphanage and yeah. is taking care of a bunch of orphans and he's not brainwashing them Right. And he yep. has to justify this, this to himself. Right. He's like, oh, I uh, this is this is an experiment. Right. This, this is an experiment just like Kinderheim 511. But, you know, like deep down, like you can you can just tell that he's just changed his mind. Right. And like all this time you're looking for this monster and all you see are just people that have done monstrous things. Right. Even Johan, who is this like yep. embodiment of destruction and nihilism and the end of the world is mm-hmm. like he got that way because he listened to uh, uh because he listened to uh to Nina, right? Because he absorbed everything about Nina so that she wouldn't have to remember it, right? The thing is that, you know, every character from Kinderheim 511 that we see has been raised in this very certain way to become these like perfectly like logical nihilistic machines. And you see the way that that plays out in Johan, who is like the idealized version uh, of this. And you see uh, Roberto, who is still a little bit imperfect. He still has some of these worldly attachments. And you see Grimmer, who by the end of the series becomes human again, right? He retakes his humanity, right? He's like, Mm -hmm. you know, I I have, uh, you know... uh, I, now that I'm at, at my deathbed and I've I've been trying for so long for so hard, like I I feel sad about the death of my son. I I didn't feel this way before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets buried and he has a tombstone. He has a, a grave that says Grimmer on it. He has been given a name, right? Yeah. Names are a very big thing, um, in in Monster because they are essentially a marker of of humanity right 
Um, we're a social species, and we need ways to refer to each other, right? Names are right. such an essentially like human thing. And right, right, yeah. They they make a really important note of of focusing around identity. Um, so you see this mainly in the struggle between Johan and and also partly Nina too, because mm-hmm. she also has a struggle between like, am I Nina? Am I Anna? Am I like who 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 am I? And then Johan as well, uh, conflates himself with the nameless monster. He's like, you know. His name, quote unquote, is Johan, but that is from the Nameless Monster storybook. Um, so, but ultimately, he also refers to Nina as his other self. So he, you can tell that at multiple points, he's he's confused his identity for a lot of different things, even to the point that, um, like you mentioned before, he takes on Nina's memories from the Red Mansion, the Red Rose Mansion, um, and makes them his own. Um, yeah, and I think that's one of the main reasons why they have that identity crisis, or that not identity crisis, but you know, that him having kind of an ethereal identity is because identity is tied to his humanity, and he is, throughout a large part of the story, portrayed as being rather inhuman. Right. Um, yes, because he, he, he lacks identity. Yeah, I mean, he, like, the thing is that he is this, uh, essential wonder child of of mm-hmm. kinderheim 511 right he is the great success um and it is because they have erased everything that is a a person about him and yeah. the thing is that you know obviously the the picture book you know the monster without a name you get this you know very you know thinly veiled allegory about uh about johan and nina and you you see like names are so important and even for characters that don't come out of Kinderheim 511 necessarily, or like, like not just the children, right? Um, General Wolf, when he's on his deathbed, asks Dr. Tenma to say his name as, as proof that he yes. existed, right? Yeah. So it's like you kind of see this, this thematic through line of, of your name being proof that you existed and how complicated that is for characters like Grimmer and for like Roberto and for um, especially for Johan and, and Nina, right? He was named yeah. Johan, presumably by by General Wolf, who who saw yes, the picture book Wolf. that they were holding, yes. right? And what and- what I think is mm-hmm. even more, uh, like points more to that is the fact that their mother, you find out, is alive, and she had names for them. She but has she names was for never them. Never yeah. able to give them, give it to them. And so, even though Tenma knows Johan's, I think he finds out Johan's name from her. He isn't able to give it to Johan, you know? Like I like, think well, so actually I read it completely differently. I think he does. You think he does? Oh so, okay. So this is this is what I read from the last couple uh pages, right? So what okay. happens is he's talking to Johan who yes. is who is in a coma after he's been um you know, resurgeried by by Tenma. And he got shot in the head again, and then right. Tenma saved him again. <laughs> and then Tenma has this like fever dream where Johan is talking to him um, yeah. about about you know the the situation with with the mother. Like you know, was I given away because I was unwanted? Like what what about me was unwanted? Like was I being mistaken for my sister? Like he just like doesn't know, right? And and then Tenma and I. This is what this, this is what I say. It's like you don't see it directly, but I think what happens is you know he gives he says like you know you have a name, 
And I think in the panels we don't see, he says what that name is because oh. to us it doesn't it doesn't matter what his name is. Um, but yeah. what happens then is the very last panel is the empty bed. Right, Johan right. has disappeared, and I think that is like right. symbolic of both Johan disappearing and mm. of the concept of Johan as this embodiment of mm-hmm. like a non-person disappearing. Right? Yeah. Um. So that that's the way that I read that, and oh, I like that. Yeah. That's that's the kind of like that's the thematic operation that that I see going on of like that makes sense. Yeah. Johan is this personification of of nihilism. Uh, and you can see in the way that he talks to people and essentially brainwashes them into like a lot of time, like, you know, doing things for him or like just straight up killing themselves. Right. And mm-hmm. a lot of the times it's because he can talk to people and inflict them with the darkness that he sees. Right. The, the inevitable heat death of the universe. And, <laughs> and I think that is like a, a, a very real struggle for people, but also like a very prescient threat at, at the point in time that this was being serialized. Um, and to a large extent, still now, I would say that a lot of people struggle with, with this. Like this is like the whole like doomerism thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, I think it's interesting because he comes out of, of Kinderheim 511, which is this like... Uh, state-run sort of socialist child experiment institution and you also see like he is being i say he's being used right he's he's really using um the uh the far-right neo-nazi organization and i think that's very interesting because i think it means that naoki urasawa has a very good understanding of what the uh of what nazism kind of is as as an ideology and what it leads to, right? It leads to nihilism, right? When the characters in the uh, in in monsters say like the the people at the neo Nazi organization, they don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand that this is bigger mm-hmm. than them, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's that they don't understand that at the end of the road of like nihil or at the end of the road of Nazism of um of fascism. Uh, and of race science, right, and of white supremacy is is nihilism. It's a self-destructive ideology because right. what because what happens right in white supremacy is you have white people, a sort of constructed, fabricated identity of like, oh, you know, white people uh, are the best people or whatever, right? And the thing about white supremacy is it just like doesn't work because. Of course it doesn't, right? Like white people are like a minority on on the planet, really, right? They're like not the majority of humankind and nothing says that they're special in any particular way, right? Realistically speaking, but people have to ident- uh, invent this sort of stuff so that it works in line with their own, you know, conception of of the world of like this is how we got colonialism. And the thing is that at the end of white supremacy is 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 like self-destruction, it's nihilism, it's total annihilation because once you run out of people to scapegoat, you'll find right. someone else to scapegoat, right? This and is going to be one of your own. This is the like like literally the most famous uh poem about about fascism is like first they came for, you know, the ex and then I didn't speak out because I was not part of that group. And then they came for, and then by the time they came for me, there was no one left to speak for me. Right. 
The thing is, they'll right. always find something, right? He's like, there will always be, there must always be a conspiracy. It is, it's a losing ideology because it's a self-destructive one. And most of the characters kind of realize this because they're like, like, you're not using nihilism to achieve your goals. Nihilism is using you to, right, to get exactly. to the end state of yes. nihilism, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, they, the way that these, the neo-Nazi groups and the people trying to use Johan in this story are treated is that they feel like they have everything to gain from raising up Johan as, in their own words, as like the next Hitler, right? Right. And, um... They are constantly warned by literally, <laughs> by just legitimately, like everyone in the story, including Tanma, many times that this is not gonna work. You're you are you are incapable of using Johan. <laughs> it's not gonna work the way that you want. You as desperately as you want things, as you want the clock to be rewound back to when you you were like winning the war to before the wall fell, you know, so on and so forth, right? Like as much as you want that to happen you can't you can't rewind the clock back to your quote-unquote glory days and no matter what if you keep walk, walking down this road where you keep trying to find johan you're going to meet destruction because that is what he is he is he is destruction yeah and i i, I would also say like i think the really brilliant thing is that johan is for most of of the series the primary antagonist he's this embodiment of nihilism and of destruction and you wonder the whole time you're like you know like was was dr tenma right to save him and <laughs> and at the end you see the process of johan like getting to become a a human again right and like it there's this like philosophy that just runs throughout the entire series about what it means to be a, to be human right and what it means to be a monster and like at the end of the day it's like a mon like monsters don't exist right it's just mm. people doing doing people things and some some of those things are monstrous but nobody is ever universally a monster even roberto who is like you know very close to like the the you know most we get is like humanized in these ways where he's like he was a child that was brainwashed mm -hmm. and he liked, yep. you know, bugs, but he didn't like killing bugs and he liked hot yep. chocolate so much. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as much as they try to kind of erase all of these things, they, they eventually, uh, the brainwashing eventually kind of like peels away and you see that there's still human elements to these people. And like, it's not an excuse for the things that they have done and the atrocities that they've committed. But it is very clear that that Urasawa and and Tenma still regard them as humans, and that it is a part of of you know being human to to rationalize the fact that people do terrible things for mm -hmm. various different reasons, whether it's ideology or whether it's you know um, because of uh, whatever the case may be, whatever the situation may be. Um, and I also think that you can see this when you go and you look at all of the really just like cringe fail men <laughs> in, um, in, in the series, right? There are so many men who have so many problems being people, 
right? Mm-hmm. The the vast majority of the men are like they're they're just they're awful. They like are you know obsessed with their jobs or they they can't express their feelings and um the process of reading monster is the process of watching a lot of these people just get better right like you have richard brown who we see in this stage of healing and growth where he is is battling his alcoholism and we see you know um the criminal psychologist who went to college with dr tenma i don't remember exactly it was like uh i don't remember exactly what his name is um but we see you know his his arc of like realizing that tenma was was didn't hate him like that was just something he projected onto him um and them essentially coming like coming to be on the same side and you see like all of these men who have been terrible to their families learning what it means to be a part of a family and to communicate the things that they care about and to become integrated into society again and it's Mm -hmm. like you can't just be obsessed with with your job like you have to be a you have to be a human right and like you see this with all of these guys that have been left by their wives and also you know inspector lunga <laughs> whose wife also left him because he was obsessed with his job yeah i essentially the story ends up being about humanism and i feel like even with johan the story revolves around how it's not necessarily like death or being erased and whatnot that ends up saving you in the end. It's about connecting with your humanity, right? Like we see it several times in the story um, with many of the characters um, like, uh, oh shoot, like Martin, right? Ava's bodyguard. Oh my God. <laughs> what, a, what a heartbreaking, what a heartbreaking Bro. sequence. It was so Bro, good. It was so good. And and yet he unfortunately, like he he starts off the story, you know, he's he's like the son of like uh of of this mom who's who's alcoholic and she he always has to bring her home and then one day, you know, he doesn't bring her home and she freezes to death on the street and he blames himself for that like like the like for the rest of his life. You know, and he also gets involved romantically with um, this girl who's a drug addict, comes home, she is having, like, an affair with her ex in their, in, in Martin and her bedroom. Um, She wants Martin to get upset with her, to, to hate her and whatnot. He doesn't. She ends up shooting herself, and uh, Martin ends up killing the ex, and then they, he becomes, like, this, like, bodyguard who just hates being around women just in general just because of his past trauma right and then he gets involved with ava and then he through her through his interactions with her and knowing that she's going to die he regains his humanity and puts his life on the line to to try and save her and that's even though he ended up dying for it he ended up getting that that little piece of himself back right that he ended up getting something from that that he he thought that he had lost right um and i feel like that type of theme is like so so wonderfully strong throughout the story right you get it with grimmer when he was you know like you said he he couldn't mourn for his son before but then by the end of the story he could and then 
Um, even with Johan too, like with with I. That's one of the reasons why I like your interpretation of the ending so much is because like if he was given his name, then yeah, Tenma technically was successful in killing Johan, but also in saving him. Right. At the same time, right? Like he saved his life physically, but also like he saved his identity as well and also killed the concept of Johan the the nameless monster right um so he didn't have to necessarily give up his ideals in order to get rid of this concept of of Johan <laughs> I also think it's just such a such a perfectly put together story such a perfectly constructed story for the kind of philosophy that's being displayed right because mm -hmm. it, it is one thing to have all of those things in isolation and it's another thing entirely for that to be there in addition to having just so many people connected to each other right it's like it's like exposing these invisible threads that connect everybody right it's like this reminder mm -hmm. of of the interconnectedness of human beings and just how much that is so carefully depicted is so is such a like big appeal um of the series and of why that idea works right it's not just like, oh, I have to make up with the, the people that are immediately around me. It's that our lives are so interconnected and we touch each other in ways that we might not even know. And like even the characters that are like start out kind of like deeply unpleasant, you feel a, a sense of connection and attachment and like maybe sometimes even some growth for them, right? Like, you know, for Martin, that that process happens uh, in a you know, a couple of chapters, but for Eva, who is like left behind by that, who has been here since the beginning, bro, right, bro, <laughs> you feel like that is a heartbreaking moment when she is sitting there at the train station waiting for him and he doesn't come. And yep. it's like, it's like, oh, you're like, I like until then, Eva has not been someone that you have rooted for or cared for in any meaningful way because like she really screws over Tenma for a really long time because <laughs> she's like I I'm a I'm a material witness I could I could definitely like uh testify that I saw Johan and that that uh Tenma did not kill all those people but I won't because he ruined my life yeah, after I, I ruined Tenma's <laughs> life. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, you're just being mean. Yeah, um, she spends a lot of the story waffling. Like, do I right. want to destroy Tenma? Do I want to make sure he's okay? You know, that kind of thing. But, <laughs> but at the same time, like, it's it's so obvious that like, it's so obvious that she's still human, and at yeah. the end, you can see how much Martin has affected her and how how much that has meant to her. Like, how yeah. happy she was just to be waiting for somebody. Or like, yeah, just to be waiting for somebody, right? Even if he never yeah, she, shows up. Exactly. She was literally ready to die because she knew at the end of that job that she was given um, where Martin was assigned to be her bodyguard during it that she was going to die. And she was just fully ready to accept that. But then because of her, you know, meeting Martin and also, like, you know, some influence that Tenma has had in her life. Like, she, like, Martin was able to give her something to look forward to, which was to see him at the train station. And he also 
that's why he, he ends up defining it this uh, they they end up defining it this way is that happiness is knowing that someone is waiting for you like at the train station right mm-hmm. um and so they both were able to find that happiness even though they weren't technically able to meet and it was just so sad when it was so good because it just it it it, it ends up like helping Ava find her 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 motivation that goes beyond her obsession with Tenma it finds she has a motivation that is sprung up just from her, right? And it helps her move on as like a human being. And she ends up like finally resolving a lot of her issues. She she feels a lot more certain about her identity. She knows like the kind of person that she, you know, wants to be. And she ends up like acting on that towards the end of the story, which is really nice. My gosh, we we talked about so many things and there's just so much to the story. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is it is a very very masterful piece of work, I would say. Um, yeah. I would be super curious to check out some of Urasawa's other works. Um, uh, I obviously I I was in that position where obviously I knew that Urasawa was uh, a very well regarded mangaka, but I had never experienced anything that uh, that he has written. Um, and it's it's funny because like I really avoided all the spoilers about about what monster was about and also like you know I I hadn't read uh I hadn't read it obviously I didn't watch the anime. Mm-hmm. It really kind of exceeded my expectations, which I I wasn't expecting to happen. I was expecting yeah. just to be like yeah, I mean that that was good. Like I can see why this was good, but like like I I was like kind of I was kind of blown away. Um, if I'm gonna be completely honest, um, I mm-hmm. really really adored just how much of a humanist story it was, and like man, just like when when a character dies in this series, it feels so like viscerally painful right when 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 grimmer dies and he's just like you know like uh i think i think at the (sighs) end like the on the last in the last episode you know the magnificent Mm -hmm. steiner must must have become a a person a human right yeah like that that entire sequence is so heartbreaking yeah and like the fact that you get to see someone reclaim their humanity after having it essentially programmed out of them like this desire for people to connect with each other and to care for each other and like essentially this battle against nihilism and hopelessness for the future and of the terrible things that that humans do and the the terrible crimes that they commit being able to reconcile that with the humanist philosophy saying like it is it is true that human beings are capable of really atrocious things and that you know it's not the work of a monster it's it's like it's us it's human beings and mm-hmm. any monster that exists is something that we created right mm-hmm. so like the the monsters that come out of of Kinderheim 511 are that way because because they were created to be that way and even then they still have every capacity to return to being human beings yeah um mm-hmm. and it doesn't excuse the crimes that they do but they yeah but they still get to be humans and it's important that we regard them as such right the fact that the the concept of johan just disappears uh, at the end <laughs> Is is I I think pretty pretty indicative of that he becomes human again right the, yeah the monster every everything in the story even even the even Johan 
like all of it points to to humanism. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I am I am happy to uh, I'm happy to sort of call call the episode there and say that if you have gotten to this point and you haven't read it, I would highly recommend reading it. Um, yeah. Because I, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah, it's it's just one of a kind. It's um, I mean, we're talking like about how how like it feels kind of classic. Like I feel like it is a classic in, in terms of like manga history or or whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I would I would say def- <laughs> it definitely deserves yeah. that title. Yeah. Um. You know what? I I forgot this fact about Monster, but. During its last two years of serialization, Urasawa was also serializing 20th Century Boys. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, that's Apparently crazy. he got hospitalized during that time too because he was like, he was so exhausted. And it's like, yeah, no wonder. <laughs> you were creating two masterpieces at one time. We we might end up I mean, I do want to read 20th Century Boys for the podcast. Sure. Yeah, I I would totally be down. I mean, I (laughs) I really I really enjoyed Monster. Um, I I was also not sure, and in hindsight, this is kind of a silly thing to say, but I really wasn't sure how I was going to feel about Monster as a manga, right? As a piece of of manga, um, and I'm I'm happy to report that Naoki Urasawa really is just like so next level in terms of the information that he is able to convey in a relatively straightforward uh way um you said earlier that it felt a lot like watching a film and i i definitely agree i I think that the film like quality to it is because like he knows what information to include what and when mm-hmm. to include it. And he understands mm-hmm. the sequence in which it should be given to you. Right. And the yes. weight that every action should have. Right. The fact, yep. the fact that the little character ticks are not these big, like block spreads on a page, but like very <laughs> tiny, intimate details mm-hmm. is like a part of what makes it so easy to feel like you're connecting with him on on this like very deep intimate level yeah i i feel like that is probably one of the reasons that lends itself to such an effective anime adaptation is that is because of the way that he crafted the story in that almost in that like very easily translatable movie-like quality right um of course i'm sure the animation studio itself did an amazing job with adapting it but like it really does translate super well and i think a lot of that that work uh started with urasawa because because it's just it's just that like you can just see it playing out in your mind the way that he's crafted the story right i i also feel like um i would not be surprised if the 1995 uh om shinrikyo attacks had anything to do with the kind of tone of the manga um, because that mm. happened about a year into serializing, I I wonder if that had any sort of effect on the story. It most mm-hmm. certainly probably will show up uh, in Twentieth Century Boys if we do end up reading it, um, mm. because it it started serialization a little bit later. 
but uh-huh. it kind of does feel quite in line with that, right? Like this idea, mm-hmm. this idea that we were hurtling towards this nihilistic darkness, um, the the sort of darkness that lies at the end of humanity, right? And I will say that is another thing that I really like uh, about Monster. I know we said we were gonna we we're gonna wrap up, but another <laughs> thing that I really like about Monster is this kind of refutation of uh, both of the like sort of fascist ideal you know, the Ubermensch ideal, but also this, just this idea that, you know, people should be perfectly cold and logical all the time, right? All of that strips away all, all of being human, and it ultimately leads to nihilism, right? It leads to mm-hmm. this place where the end of the world happens, because, like, if you can't care for another person, if caring for other people is is illogical, then the logical conclusion, right, um, is going to be the end of everything, right? And yeah, I feel like also uh, mm-hmm. for for that idea specifically, I, there must be something there about the turn of the twenty first, like the twentieth of the twenty first century, and the rising. Uh, sort of aspect of uh, isolation that people feel in society there has to be an mm. element of that right sure because the- I also yeah yeah I, I think it's 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 because of the, the the placement of the writing like I think that plus the fact that like around the time like like while monster was probably being developed was like people were still like like that was like only four-ish years or whatnot after Akira ended, right? So you see yeah. this kind of, like, ripple effect of, like, themes and, and whatnot, like, that that type of, like, are we approaching the end or the beginning? <laughs> like, right, like, like what is be, it? Like the What's over the horizon? <laughs> the turn of the 20th to the 21st century was is one of the most interesting times to study yeah. simply because we have such a wealth of, of media from that time that will mm-hmm. implicitly clue us in to the attitudes of people, right? Yes. And like also it was a really fucking crazy time, right? You have <laughs> you have the Amshinrikyo attacks in Japan, in America, you have 9/11 happening in 2001. Like it, it this is a this is a time that is quite quite shaking um I would say quite shocking for the foundation of of uh of you know liberal democratic society um and mm-hmm. the question as to whether we've ever recovered from these things it stands to be seen I I would say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but yeah I mean that's uh that's I think that's all I got to say for now um <laughs> You know what actually all that stuff I talked about, about the turn of the 21st century, uh, the uh, you know 20th to 21st century, probably does get addressed in 20th century boys, now that I think about it. It's literally titled I mean, 20th century boys. It's in boys. the title, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mayhaps. <laughs> All right, well then. Uh, I guess on that note, uh, who are you and where can we find you on the internet? Hey, I am Renu, also known as Swan. You can find me on Instagram at swan.drawn. You can find me on uh, Twitch and Twitter. Everywhere else at swan drawn. I uh, will be 
absent for the holidays and uh, a little bit after as I will be at a convention and then by the time we come back and record some more, I'll be back. So <laughs> I believe by the time that this releases, I'll probably still be away, but that's okay. <laughs> we Fair all enough. need vacation sometimes. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Well, uh, you can find me all places at Literal Soup if I am on a place uh, I am there. And that is becoming increasingly relevant uh, now that, you know, Twitter might not exist in like a year. Who knows? But Who knows? Uh, as as always, if you if you want to find me at Literal Soup, most places. <laughs> yep, I'm not up to anything too extremely exciting for the most part uh for the foreseeable future. I'm really just going to be deep in the podcast minds, I think for like until probably the end of January, but I would like to get back to doing some personal projects and some streaming would be nice i have not played any more of pokemon violet because i want to save it for stream but uh it's a new pokemon generation so like i, I gotta play it <laughs> i have yeah fun with it <laughs> yeah yeah so anyway well um that is that is it that is the last proper episode for for the year the next episode uh will be the wrap-up episode for the um i say okay i shouldn't say wrap-up because that that makes it sound like it's a seasonal episode it it, it will be the anniversary episode and yeah i was gonna we'll say talk about anniversary <laughs> stuff and hopefully it comes yes. out before the the end of the the year which i don't even know if this episode is going to come out before the end of the year yeah we- i don't i don't know if you should make your prom your future self promises <laughs> We're all just hoping here. Uh, but whenever whenever you hear this, once again, thank you so much for listening. I know it got a little dicey there at the end uh, uh, in the middle of the year, but uh, thanks for sticking with us. Yeah, this is this has been great. I hope you enjoyed the discussion today. I, I sure did. This is one of my favorite works of all time, and uh, I'm glad we get to talk about this stuff on the podcast, like new stuff, old stuff. All of that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, as always, our opening is by Scott Two Network and our ending is by Takamakata. And the patrons we are thanking this episode are Evan Williams, Magpie Minutes, Claire, Frostfall, Shandao, Cherubel, and Dylan Boats. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you. It's awesome. <laughs> Do you want to know a fun fact that I just I just realized? I don't remember if we talked about this in the uh in the anniversary episode, but the opening of our podcast still assumes it's a weekly podcast. <laughs> Did, have you noticed this? The it opening? Says, um, yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AtCast, a podcast for the study of modern visual culture. I'm blank, and I'm your blank, uh, and I'm blank, you're blank. This week, oh, at yeah, stands for week. blank because this week. That's your week, fault. Oh, That's your fault. You did that. <laughs> wow. You, you actually took it out of this episode. Wow. I'm going to go change the- I did? Uh, or at the very least, it's oh maybe I did because I uh, it's not part of this episode, but I I will have to change the template for yeah, the uh, for the you guide. Have to change it. You set us up for disaster. <laughs> oh yeah, no no no, hold on, it's it's still here. It says this week at stands for. Yeah, you know it's yeah, it still says it there. Okay, this week at stands for. Okay, well I'll, I'll change that in my in my time. You could say this episode. This episode it almost feels wrong at this point. What do you mean? Because we've been saying this week for so long. Well, too bad. We gotta fix yeah, it. Yeah, it's not it's not accurate anymore. <laughs> okay, alright. 
Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. And we will (laughs) see you next time. See you next time. またしたね。